Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and Welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, East African countries launch joint military force. UN chief urges Israel and Palestine to resume peace talks. And debate on federalism continues in Malawi. In economics, Zambia fails to create jo- decent jobs despite growth. And in sports news, Russian city could lose the right to host World Cup matches. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Good morning. Nigeria's top Islamic leader has accused the military of fleeing when Boko Haram attacks and terrorizes civilians. A statement from the country's top Muslim body, the JNI, describes the military's handling of the five year Islamist uprising as unfortunate, worrisome, and embarrassing. The JNI speaks for Nigeria's top cleric, the Sultan of Sokoto, Muhammad Zahid Abubakar. The condemnation comes after similar remarks last week from Nigeria's number two Islamic cleric, the Emir of Kanu. Another attack occurred yesterday when Boko Haram gunmen attacked, uh, entered a market in the northeastern town of Damasak and opened fire on unarmed traders. Libya's National Army, head, headed by renegade General Khalif Haftar, has claimed responsibility for an air raid that targeted an airport in the capital, Tripoli. A fighter jet targeted the Matiga airport, which is controlled by FAR, Libya, and anti-government Islamist militia coalition, which controls the Libyan capital. Libya's news agency says fights were temporarily diverted to Masrata Airport, but two hours later were returned to normal. South Africa's Deputy President Sloda Maposa has blamed the Opposition Democratic Alliance for the collapse of the deal between him and opposition parties. Ramaphosa met with opposition leaders yesterday in an attempt to revive the deal that collapsed the day after it was reached last week. It included suspending sanctions against 20 EFF MPs that include having their salaries docked and being suspended from Parliament. Ramaphosa has accused the DA of going against the spirit of the deal. We gave them an explanation that the deal is off, that we had struck, it was largely breached by the DA's uh, motion of censure against the president, which departed from the spirit uh, around which the deal was struck. And we also said that we must now allow the processes in parliament to unfold. A grand jury has decided that a white police officer who fatally shot a black teenager in Ferguson, Ferguson, Missouri, in the U.S. will not be indicted. Officer Darren Wilson potentially faced charges ranging from first 
second-degree murder to involuntary manslaughter for the killing of Michael Brown in a case that has enraged the community. Show and Brass Peace reports. Andemonium broke out in Ferguson with protesters breaking into different stores, smashing windows and looting them. A strong police presence fired numerous volleys of tear gas to disperse the crowd with at least one car set alight and gunfire reported. After the grand jury decision was announced, President Barack Obama spoke from the White House, appealing for peaceful protests, care and restraint. But as he spoke, the situation in Ferguson unraveled. People were seen smashing store windows on live television and carting goods out. Mr. Brown's family issued a statement expressing their disappointment at the grand jury decision, but appealing for calm. And finally, today marks the beginning of the 16 Days of No Violence Against Women and Children campaign for 2014. In South Africa, President Jacob Zuma will officially launch the campaign in Reicha Park on Gauteng's East Rand. The area has been in the news after four-year-old Tigran Morris died after being dragged behind his mother's hijacked car in July. The community has called for government to help deal with crime in the area. Presidential spokesperson Mac Maharaj. The 16 Days of Activism for No Violence Against Women and Children is an international campaign observed from the 25th November to the 10th December to raise awareness of the negative impact that violence has on women, children and society. This year's campaign will be held under the theme Count Me In, Together Moving a Nonviolent South Africa Forward. The campaign will also mark its 16th anniversary of raising gender-based violence, reflect on 20 years of democracy and 60 years of the Women's Charter. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. We believe that in order to really achieve gender equality, it's essential that we can advance much more women's empowerment. All of us deserve the same fair chance to contribute to our societies and live up to our potential. When everyone can contribute on an equal footing, our communities and nations are healthier and stronger. Socialist Party politician and the president of Chile, Michelle Bachelet, joined the 16 Days of Activism Against Women and Children, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It is 8.06 Central African time on this Tuesday, November the 25th, the 329th day of the year 2014, with 36 days left in the year. And today marks the first day of the 16 days of activism against no violence, no violence against children and women. Now, top story, 10 East African nations have launched a joint military force aimed at improving security in the region and supporting African Union's missions. The African Standby Force, ASF, was launched in the central Ethiopian city of Adama after almost a decade of planning and preparation. Ethiopian Prime Minister Haile Mariam Desalene welcomed the launch of the ASF, describing it as a significant development. Coletta Wanjohi has more. 
The East African Standby Force has a mission to provide rapid deployment of forces to carry out preventive deployment, rapid intervention, peace support and peace enforcement. The operational capability of the forces have been met after the forces have undergone a stringent series of tests and exercises in countries like Kenya, Djibouti, Ethiopia, Sudan and Uganda. While officially launching the operationalization of the forces in Ethiopia, the Minister of Defense of Rwanda, James Kawarebe, said that the brigade with a capacity of over 5,000 personnel is ready. We can confirm today that ESF is ready to respond swiftly and firmly to the current and emerging security challenges in the Eastern African region. Member states pledged all the required 5,200 force, and ESF Secretariat has already confirmed these pledges. The ESF Command Post Exercise Mashariki Sarama 2014 has demonstrated and validated the multidimensional force readiness. It provides a coherent and comprehensive package of necessary measures to respond to the current and future security challenges that are of concern to the Eastern African region and across the continent. East African Standby Force is just part of the five forces that are expected to be in place by the year 2015 to form the bigger African Standby Force. This continental force is expected to help Africa manage any upcoming conflicts, the existing conflicts, and without having to wait for external military assistance, which not only takes time, but also is not tailored to the African needs. The Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Haile Mariam de Salen, says that the operationalization of the East African Brigade ahead of its 2015 deadline shows that Africans are stepping up to solve their own conflicts. As the mandate clearly stipulates, the duties of these forces will include, but are not limited to, observation and monitoring as well as relevant peace support missions, intervention in member states in circumstances that warrant such intervention, and in the event of such request from a member state to restore peace and stability, preventive deployment to prevent the further escalation of an existing conflict, or to avoid the resurgence of conflict after parties have reached an agreement and post-conflict disarmament and demobilization efforts, as well as providing humanitarian assistance to suffering civilian populations. Considering the multidimensional aspects of conflicts facing the East African region and the African continent as a whole, the East Africa Standby Force, as well as the other forces when they are formed, will be given constant training and enough logistical support to enable them to match the challenges that they will face. Call it enjoy for Channel Africa in Ethiopia. The Public Affairs Committee, PAC, the mother body of all religious groupings in Malawi, yesterday opened a two-day debate in Blantyre on whether the country should adopt a federalism way of governance as opposed to the current system. The federalism debate comes after the country's main opposition party suggested the model due to what they said was failure by the current system of government to initiate development. George Mango has more from Blantai. Relatives and members of the public were at the Nairobi airport to receive the bodies of their beloved ones who are victims of the brutal killing of the 28 innocent civilians in the Nairobi-bound bus traveling from northern Kenya to Nairobi. It was indeed an emotional scene. The scene is extremely sad and extremely emotional for those who have visited 
and those that have witnessed the incident as it has occurred. It's the second born of his family. We are the uncles. The mother passed on because of uh, foreign cancer. The father, whom I follow, is uh, disposed. This was the first term, so she was completing this term at the very first time that she went there. And according to the Deputy President William Ruto, security forces in Kenya have been pursuing the Al-Shabaab terrorists inside Somalia, and so far, more than 100 suspected members of the Al-Shabaab militia have been killed and their camps destroyed inside Somalia. He says two successful territorial attacks were carried out by Kenyan Defense Forces immediately after the cold-blooded attack. Two successful operations in the hideouts of the perpetrators of the Mandera executions were swiftly carried out across the border. Our retaliation, our retaliatory action left in its trail more than a hundred fatalities. It also destroyed four technicals and the camp from which this crime was planned. But leaders and Kenyans in general are still wondering how the killings took place despite intelligence surveillance all over the country. The deputy president again. This incident was planned from across the border in a sector that is manned by a different country in Somalia. It is not in the nature of security to report everything that happens in the country. The fact that those things that we overcome never get reported is what undermines or creates the perception as though not much is happening. The government has dismissed claims by the Al-Shabaab militia that the Mandera attack was in retaliation of the government's action in the closure of the four Muslim mosques in Mombasa town. William Ruto. This claim, of course, is not born of or supported by facts on the ground. No mosque has been taken over by our security forces. It is not possible that any Kenyan leader can stand on the side of terrorists. Even as we, as, as leaders across, want to defend our religion, our community, our region, we must also remember that those who don't belong to our religion or don't belong to our community or don't come from our region are also Kenyans. But a section of Kenyan leaders and the general public have accused the government of talking tough but doing very little to improve security situation in the country. We are asking the president of our country to do whatever it takes to make sure that Kenya is safe. Time has come for our security managers to pull up their socks. And instead of telling us they will leave no stone unturned, they must tell us how many stones have remained unturned. The general feelings in Kenya is that the target of the Al-Shabaab terror group is to create a religious conflict in the country. The target of these terror groups is to create religious tension in our nation. Al-Shabaab's objective is very clear. It's one to cause a religious conflict in Kenya, pitting Muslims against Christians. As they have attempted to do in Mpeketoni and Westgate when they selectively uh, killed Kenyans of a different religion other than Islam. It is not any different from what has happened in Mandera. Police are now escorting buses applying between Mandera town Wajiru Garissa along Nairobi route. Kenyan parliament is expecting to discuss the general security situation in the country amid accusations that the government should overhaul the entire security apparatus in the country. All professional bodies in Kenya have now urged their members to move out of the area till the resolution of security in the region. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. 
It is 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 2004 where Ethiopia accepts in principle a disputed ruling on its border with Eritrea made under the terms of a four-year-old peace deal but insists the country will not cede any territory potentially dealing a blow to the faltering peace plan. And that was Today in History in 2004. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The Public Affairs Committee, PAC, the mother body of all religious groupings in Malawi, yesterday opened a two-day debate in Blantyre on whether the country should adopt a federalism way of governance as opposed to the current system. We move on to the next story. Attempts to revive a collapsed peace deal between South Africa's ruling African National Congress and opposition parties to bring a decorum in Parliament have failed. The opposition says the talks broke down again after Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa failed to give the opposition guarantees that President Jacob Zuma will account to Parliament for the 246 million rand security upgrades to his homestead in Ngandla. Now, the opposition says while it respects the spirit of the talks, it is not planning to engage Ramaphosa further. Shabangosi reports. It was crunch time for Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa to revive the stalled peace talks which could have included a truce on the suspension of EFF MPs for up to 30 days for contempt of parliament. But the talks broke down after the opposition insisted on proceeding with a motion accusing President Jacob Zuma of evading questions on the 246 million security upgrades to his homestead in Ngandla. DA parliamentary leader Musima Imane says there will be no further talks with Ramaphosa. We reaffirm the principle that said to all of us that we want to uphold and make sure that the parliament has functioned. The, the ANC felt, uh, felt, felt otherwise, and so subsequent to that, it was clear to us that they had no data to when President uh, Jacob Zuma would appear before parliament so as to, he can be able to account. And we are simply saying, if the rules are to be applied fairly, President Zuma must come to account. Earlier, ANC Secretary-General Gwede Mandashe told a media briefing that the party welcomed Ramaphosa's efforts to bring decorum in parliament. But Mandashe maintained that these must not undermine the legitimate structures and procedures of parliament. When opposition parties declare that they will undermine the speaker, for example, they say that in public, and then they are happy to go to a process of engagement, and they will try their best to substitute parliamentary process with that process. That process must play its role, but it should not be a substitute for parliamentary processes because those must be according to the rules of parliament. 
but engagement is okay because we must have relationship with opposition parties. UTM leader Bantu Holomisa says the talks collapsed because the opposition parties wanted a guarantee that the calling of police officers into parliament last week must form part of the discussions in return for a debate on the powers and privileges committee's recommendations on EFFMPs. Olomisa says the opposition wants the entire executive to account to parliament. We were expecting, therefore, that we would unpack those points we, we identified last week and come up with timelines when will so-and-so appear in parliament like the president. Therefore, there was a legitimate expectation on our part that we would come up with that program, but you could see that uh, the word from the ANC's Lutuli House is that get out of that speedily. EFF leader Julius Malima says the deal fell off because the ANC refused to discuss the role of the Speaker of Parliament. Malima says the EFF also wants Zuma to come and account to Parliament, even if this means that the party's MPs are suspended. If the ANC thinks that the political process will not resolve a crisis in Parliament and the crisis will be resolved by a shortcut process. Uh, then they must try it. I told Sir Ramaphosa, I actually reminded him, that in the ANC, when you are about to expel us, we told you to try a political process. You ignored it. Look at where we are today. We are giving you another chance to try a political process. You are throwing it through the window, and you hope to have peace. Let's see it. Good luck. By the look of things, it's all back to square one for the ANC and opposition parties. And if such hardening attitudes are anything to go by, then the chaos and howlings in parliament will not be a thing of the past anytime soon. I am Sichabagankosi in Johannesburg. Judgment has been reserved in the matter between Julius Malema, leader of South African Opposition Party, the EFF, and the National Council of Provinces chairperson, Tandi Mudise. Malema is challenging an earlier ruling by Mudise to eject him from Parliament after he refused to withdraw his comments that the ANC-led government massacred the people in Maragana. He was referring to the incident where 34 mine workers were killed at the hands of police in August 2012. Mercedes Percent tells us more. It was during the State of the Nation debate at the joint sitting of Parliament five months ago when Malema made the comments. It was also the first time that Parliament conducted a joint State of the Nation debate with both National Assembly and NCOP MPs participating in the debate. NCOP Chairperson Tandi Mudise was therefore one of the presiding officers at the time. This is what transpired. I won't do that. I'm sorry, I won't do that. I will ask you again, Honorable Malema, withdraw that statement. I maintain the ANC government killed people in Marigana. You leave me no choice but to ask you to leave the house. No problem. Thank you. (laughs) You murdered people in Marigana. You killed people in... You are the premier there. Honourable members, leave the house. And you were the premier. Yes, I was the premier. Mercenaries. Leave the house. 
You murdered people in Marikana. Arms, make sure that the door is closed. All the people who are against murderers murderers. Hey, leave the house, sir. Malema has now challenged the ruling and wants it to be set aside by the Western KBI court. The matter is before Judge Judith Kluter and Judge Libo Zelek. Malema's lawyer is Luvuyo Godla. We seek to set aside the ruling uh, of the chairperson of NCOP of the 19th of June demanding uh, Mr. Malema to withdraw his statement which said uh, ANC-led government massacred people of Marigana. And secondly, we say uh, to order him to withdraw that statement was unlawful because that statement was lawful. And therefore, to order him to leave the house because he refused uh, to, to withdraw that statement. It was further unlawful. We want, therefore, to set aside that ruling and we want her to apologize publicly for her ruling and for ejecting Mr. Malema out of parliament. All members uh, of the National Assembly, they have got a right to freedom of speech. And therefore, to order him to withdraw that statement it curtailed and it stifles the robust debate which should take place in Parliament. During the heads of argument in court, in his responding paper, senior counsel for Mudise advocate Jan Yenes argued that the constitutional right to exercise freedom of speech for members of parliament is different from exercising such a right in general terms. He says the freedom of speech for MPs is subject to the rules of parliament. The legal counsel also argued that the ruling was lawful. The sticky point in this matter relates to whether Malema harmed the dignity of any member of parliament when he made the remarks by accusing the ANC-led government of killing the people in Marikana. Malema's senior counsel, Vim Trengrov, says he was referring to the ANC-led government and not to an individual MP. But Mudise's legal counsel says Malema cast aspersions on the dignity of MPs who are ANC members serving in government. He says Malema should have brought such allegations through a substantive motion. A substantive motion in terms of the rules is brought before the National Assembly when serious allegations are made, such as accusing another MP of a criminal offence. Judgment has been reserved. Parliament spokesperson Luzuko Jacobs says the institution will only comment after the judgment. Mercedes Besend, SABC News, had the Western Cape High Court. It's 8.26 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A Missouri grand jury's decision not to indict a white police officer on any charges in the fatal August shooting of an unmarked black teenager unleashed a wave of violent protest Monday night similar to what engulfed the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson in August. Now angry crowds took to the streets around Ferguson, Missouri 
Police Department after the grand jury determined there was no probable cause to charge Officer Darren Wilson with any crime for the shooting of 18-year-old Michael Brown. Now, lawyers for Brown's family say the teen was trying to surrender when he was shot, while Wilson supporters say he feared for his life and opened fire in self-defense. The incident highlighted long-standing racial tensions in the predominantly black United States city, which has a white-dominated power structure. Now, our question to you today is, do you think the U.S. justice system is racially biased? You can email us your thoughts, your views at info at on info at channelafrica.org, send us an SMS to plus 2782-332-5905 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think the U.S. justice system is racially biased? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The year 2014 represents a historic milestone of 20 years of freedom and democracy in our country. An occasion to reflect on what has been achieved over the past 20 years working together. We enjoy freedom of movement and of association, the right to own property, the right not to be detained without trial, freedom of expression and freedom of the press, religious freedom and freedom of sexual orientation. Women have equal rights before the law, which did not exist before 1994. Workers have 20 years of enjoying rights, including trade union, workplace organizing, collective bargaining, equal pay for equal work, health and safety, Affirmative action, skills development, minimum wages for workers in vulnerable sectors, the right to strike and the right to peaceful protests. South Africa is a successful story. South Africa is a good story. It's 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Coming to you live from Johannesburg on this Tuesday, November the 25th, the 329th day of 2014, with exactly 36 days left in the year. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. Nigeria's top Islamic leader accuses the military of fleeing when Boko Haram attacks and terrorizes civilians. A plague outbreak in Madagascar kills 40 people and today marks the beginning of the 16 days of no violence against women and children campaign for 2014. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. 
The Public Affairs Committee, PAC, the mother body of all religious groupings in Malawi, yesterday opened a two-day debate in Blantyre on whether the country should adopt a federalism way of government as opposed to the current system. The federalism debate comes after the country's main opposition party suggested the model due to what they said was failure by the current system of government to initiate development. George Mango has more from Blantyre. Delegates have been drawn from legal, civil society, political and business spheres for a comprehensive debate on federalism. This follows calls from the main opposition party in parliament, Malai Congress Party, which called for the system after what it said lack of development in other regions as compared to the south. According to Chairperson of the Public Affairs Committee PAC, Reverend Felix Chingota, the debate was the right forum for them to gauge the mood and feelings of Malawians on whether to adopt federalism. This meeting, first of all, what we wanted to do is that we want uh, Malawians to have a common understanding of what federalism is all about. So it's actually basically a um, time when we wanted to be educated, put it that way. And therefore, to that end, we have actually selected people who have who give us the information on what federalism is all about. We have uh, a renowned um, lecturer from Ethiopia in law, uh, Professor Asefa, and uh, he, he will give us information on what federalism is all about. And so we hope that at the end of this meeting, people will have uh, a deeper understanding. Because understanding is very important. Ignorance um, may lead us to something very unpleasant. But uh, I think when we uh, conduct our affairs as Malawians with knowledge and understanding, so I think, I think we, we do very well. Other politicians from the northern region of Malawi, who also belong to the People's Party of former President Joyce Banda, called on the authorities to delink the north from Malawi so that it is an independent state on the same basis of lack of development. But a representative of the United Nations resident in Malawi, Mia Sepo, said it was important that Malawians deliberate on the matter with sober mind. We have um, been in dialogue with PAC in terms of how the agenda has been framed to ensure that, that you have sufficient governance expertise feeding into it. Uh, the discussion which is now ongoing in terms of looking at the concepts of decentralization, devolution, decentralization. The second thing is we have, um, have been in dialogue with PAC in terms of how the agenda has been set up, how the people have been brought in in order to ensure that it's inclusive and in order to ensure that you have an overarching interest of, of uh, conflict prevention and, and national interests guiding the overall conversation. Meanwhile, Alliance for Democracy Afford, President Tino Chihana, has also asked the National Initiative for Civic Education, NICE Trust, to lead a federalism sensitization campaign and debates to bridge the information gap on the matter. Shihana, who is also a member of parliament for Rompi's central constituency, said civic education is a core responsibility of NICE, hence it will be within its mandate to sensitize people on federalism. He said currently there is information gap as people do not know what federalism is all about and a number of them are also being misinformed to understand federalism as tribal divisions or the beginning of anarchy. But Park Chair Felix Chingota again insisted 
but more time is indeed needed to exhaust debate on the matter. We have politicians here. We have representatives of civil society. We have representation from the faith community here. In other words, we have what we would call key opinion leaders in the country. And I think if the opinion leaders have been well informed, the messengers who will take the message forward. And therefore, in that way, they can also assist in de-escalating or diffusing if there will be a likelihood of tension here and there. President Peter Mutarika has since backed cause for a debate on the matter. The federalism debate, which ends today, will see all invited parties signing a document on the way forward after having looked at pros and cons of federalism. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. One in three women suffer from abuse and violence in her lifetime. This is an appalling human rights violation, but it is not inevitable. We can put a stop to this. Won't you help? Australian actress and Unifem Goodwill ambassador Nicole Kidman joined the 16 Days of Activism Against Women and Children, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Kidnapping for ransom and hostage-taking continues to be a major source of income for terrorists around the world, the United Nations has been told. It's estimated that $120 million in ransoms was paid to terrorist groups between 2004 and 2012. Experts gathered in New York on Monday at a meeting convened by the UN Security Council's Counterterrorism Committee to discuss the issue. Derek Mbata reports. The targets for kidnapping for ransom and hostage-taking include tourists, employees of multinational corporations, journalists, humanitarian relief workers, and local civilians. The chairperson of the Counter-Terrorism Committee, Ambassador Raimonda Mumukaite of Lithuania, noted that there is the International Convention Against the Taking of Hostages, adopted in 1979 to combat the scourge. She said the convention obligates state parties to establish hostage-taking as an offence in domestic laws. Over the past few years, however, the use of this tactic for terrorist purposes has increased significantly. Al-Qaeda in the Arabic Peninsula and Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb in particular have made kidnapping for ransom and hostage-taking a strategic modus operandi in funding their operations. According to Ambassador Momo Kaite, in other areas, kidnapping for ransom and hostage-taking represents a low-risk high-reward financial and political strategy. Kidnapping for ransom provides terrorist groups with significant sources of funding, which enables them to purchase equipment, incite to recruit and train new members, and develop new methods, including through the use of sophisticated technologies. This led to the adoption of Security Council Resolution 2133 in 2014, in which the Council condemned kidnapping by terrorist groups for any purpose. Jean-Paul Laborde, Executive Director of the UN's Counter-Terrorism Executive Directorate spoke about the need for effective strategies to combat terrorism while addressing human rights imperatives. 
Appropriate response to kidnapping and hostage-taking incidents can provide favorable conditions for the release of the victims. However, they may also affect the victims' immediate safety. This concern is central to the decision-making processes involved in attempting to secure the release of hostages, including through diplomatic and law enforcement measures and the use of force. Mr. Laborde said one of the best ways to respond to the threat of kidnapping for ransom and hostage-taking is prevention. He said the success of prevention efforts depends on joint efforts by and close cooperation between all relevant actors, including governments, international regional organizations, media, the private sector, and in particular, insurance companies. Derek Mbata, United Nations. UN Chief Ban Ki-moon has urged Israel and the Palestinians to return to peace talks amid European moves toward recognizing Palestine. His comments reflected international alarm over the spate of violent attacks in East Jerusalem and the deadlock over peace talks that are fueling fear of another flare-up after the 50-day war in Gaza earlier this year. Sean Bryce Peace has more from New York. The UN chief called on both parties to step back from the brink and find the path of peace before hope and time runs out. Long-term stability depends on addressing the underlying causes of the conflict. That means lifting the closure on Gaza, ending the half-century occupation of Palestinian land, and addressing Israel's legitimate security concerns. On this day of solidarity, our hearts turn to the many Palestinian refugees uh, who were disproportionately affected by the war in Gaza. The ongoing conflict in Syria also affects Palestine refugees who have been in the country for decades. A lack of peace prospects following the 50-day Gaza war, the continued blockade of Gaza, illegal Israeli settlement activity and random attacks by Palestinians against Israeli civilians have escalated tensions and mistrust on both sides. I'm deeply troubled by the situation in Jerusalem and West Bank. Incitement and provocative acts related to the holy site are fanning the flames of conflict far beyond the holy city. I once again strongly condemn the reprehensible attacks that have been against worshippers and other innocent civilians. Extremists on both sides are dictating the agenda. I call on all parties to stand up to those forces exercise restraint and respect the status quo governing those holy sites. Palestine's representative Riyad Mansour has indicated that no vote is expected in the Security Council this month on a draft resolution calling for an Israeli withdrawal from all occupied territory by 2016, while the vacuum left by non-existent peace negotiations has seen a number of European countries propose recognition of the state of Palestine following Sweden's move to do so in October. The UN Secretary-General warned this was likely a sign of things to come. An end of the conflict will not be achieved through confrontation and violence. It will only come through a negotiated and just political solution based on the relevant United Nations resolutions. We, as the international community, must assume responsibility for what is a collective failure 
to advance a political solution for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Indeed, as we see around the world, governments and parliaments are taking action. That momentum will grow. Symbolic motions to recognize the state of Palestine have passed parliaments in Britain, Ireland and Spain, with France and other European countries expected to follow suit. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. With the international 16 days of activism against gender-based violence getting underway today, non-governmental organization Proudly South African has launched a campaign, Matla Abana, by giving police comfort packs that they can give to child victims of violence and sexual crimes around the world. For more on this, Komozo Mopulane spoke to advocate Leslie Sidibe, CEO of Proudly South African. Human trafficking of women and children as sex slaves is not only unique in South Africa, but is a serious global problem. South Africa is a major destination and source for international trafficking of children. It is estimated that between 28,000 and 38,000 children are being prostituted into South Africa every year. Up to 25% of prostitutes in South Africa are children, and up to 25% of street children are prostitutes. Gender and humanitarian organization Anti-Human Trafficking Salvation Army says... In 2012, Proudly South African launched what is called the Ubuntu Schools Campaign in response to acts of uh, bullying and violence in schools. In 2014, we continue in our efforts towards building a better society by supporting government's call through the campaign that calls for 16 days of activism in the fight against the sketch of crime, crimes perpetrated against women and children. And we say that this should not only um, include women and children, but also the vulnerable members of our society, the poor, the broken-hearted, and the downtrodden. That We need to make sure that as South Africans, we are a caring nation, and if we are to become a great nation, we need to show leadership by ensuring that we care for those that are weak and vulnerable that need our support on a daily basis. And that was advocate Leslie Sidibe, CEO of Proudly South African, talking to Khomutso Mopulane. It's 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehoko. Zambia's Labour Minister, Faxin Shamenda, says it is unfortunate that many people still live in abject poverty due to lack of indecent or rather decent employment despite the recorded economic growth in the country. Shamenda says Zambia's economy has, during the last decade, shown massive growth and development, but that positive trend has not been sufficiently inclusive. He adds, large investments and a reinvigorated, uh, had reinvigorated the capital-intensive mining sector and that there was rapid expansion in manufacturing, trade and finance. The Central Bank of Swaziland has decided to maintain the bank rate at 5.25%. Bank Governor 
Majuzi Sitole says the rationale to maintain the bank rate was because of the slow growth in credit to the private sector. Swaziland Central Bank says that the low interest rate is expected to stimulate economic growth and provide job opportunities. Namibia's construction industry is expanding at 9% annually, opening the sluice gates for bogus as well as uh, foreign contractors. According to the Construction Industry Federation, this growth is due to the aggressive drive in public spending on large-scale projects to speed up infrastructure development and public services. The Federation has over 400 members, of which 194 are small medium enterprises, SMEs. The Construction Industry Federation says Namibia wants to position itself as a national and regional economic hub. Shares in Africa-focused unit of Portugal's largest builder, Mota Agnel, has made the market debut in Amsterdam. This after the group gave out a fifth of the unit stock to investors and then arranged the listing so the shares could be traded. The company, whose recent projects included being part of a construction building to bridge over the Zambezi River in Tete Mozambique, gained a stock market value of $1.5 billion in a listing also intended to give it better access to capital markets and a more diversified investor base. The third quarter figures that Statistics of Africa will release today are expected to show that the economy is starting to slow, or rather slowly recover from the impact of strikes. Economists say the metal and engineering sector strike in July will continue to weigh heavily on the manufacturing sector, the second largest contributor to the gross domestic product. Laura Campbell is an economist. Uh, We saw that the second quarter figure was the worst since the 2009 recession, and that was due to the negative impact of strike activity. In the third quarter as well, due to the metal industry strike in July, we're likely to see some downward pressure on GDP growth from manufacturing. And that's uh, Laura Campbell. She's from Econometrics. She's an economist. Financial indicators at the Sawa. The US dollar, 1097 South African Rand. 907 Botswana Pula. 630 in Zambia. 063 British Pound. 080 across the Eurozone. Gold $1,198, platinum $1,204 an ounce, brand crude $79, $0.05 a barrel. It's an economic update and I see now the passionate Fila Lenwati is behind me with a sport update. Thank you, Tabi. So our sports update up next with Pigile Lingwati. What's up, date this hour? We're kicking off with football news. Russian sports minister Vitaly Mutko says the city of Kaliningrad could lose the rights to host 2018 World Cup matches unless it resolves a dispute over the site of its stadium this week. Kaliningrad, the capital of Russian exclave on the border with Poland, was announced as one of the 11 host cities in 2012 but has suffered repeated delays and is now under threat. It is not clear where the 35,000 seat stadium and Kaliningrad will be built. 
the local authorities' preferred site on an island has been criticized as too costly by Mutko, who told Russian TV that the city must resolve the issue this week and that there is no time whatsoever left. In rugby news, South African Springbok Lok Bakis Botha has announced his retirement from international rugby after the Springbok's 26-6 win over Italy. Botha had made the decision to retire earlier in the week and his last test appearance was last weekend's win against England at Twickenham. Botha will continue to play for his French club Toulon, but it is likely is unlikely to renew his contract which ends at the conclusion of the French season mid next year. The Springboks are preparing for this week's clash against Wales at Millennium Stadium. Meanwhile, Springbok coach Henneke Meyer has praised Bortha. Yeah, I must say it was a very emotional week for me. I've coached Bucky since he was uh, probably 19 years old. And uh, first of all, I'm very proud of the, not just the players he's turned out, but the type of human being as well. Uh, you know, he's respected throughout the world. He's won every trophy almost there's been. Um, you know, going to Toulon, I thought... I really thought I'd, I wasn't sure if Bakis will last a week in Toulon and, uh, you know, winning a Heineken Cup and, and, and it's always been a success story. But, you know, you can say a lot of things and that's PR and it sounds good, but I think that's, that, that really stood out for me. In cricket news, following their 4-1 ODI series loss in Australia, the South African Proteas have lost their number one sport in the ICC rankings. Quentin de Gogh's sixth century was not good enough and neither were career-best scores for Farhan Baradin and Riley Rousseau nor Robin Peterson's third four-wicket haul. South Africa still crashed to defeat in the last one-day international against Australia in Sydney yesterday. De Gogh admitted his team was hurting and disappointed. It's been a bit tough here. Um, you know, they've got a, it's not that easy when you're playing against a team that has three, three bowlers at ball 145 plus, you know, it's never going to be easy. Um, but your yeah, conditions do take some getting used to, um, but you're yeah, still learning. Meanwhile, Australia have been hit with another injury scare, with Steve Smith joining Michael Clark in the casualty ward 10 days before the first test against India. Smith scored 67, the third time he has scored at least 50 in the rubber says It's satisfying how they beat the Proteas. Yeah, it's satisfying to have played, uh, I guess, well this series. Um, you know, we set out at the start of the series to, to win it, and to win 4-1, uh, it, it's very satisfying. So hopefully we can keep improving from here. In golf news, Harry Stenson successfully defended his title at the $8 million US dollars DB World Tour Championship in a dramatic fashion, making two birdies on the final two holes to win by two shots. The Swede finished on 16 under par with a closing round of 70 to win by two from Ryder Cup teammates Rory McElroy, Justin Rose and Victor Dubois. Dubois says he's happy to have finished in second place. Second place here after the season I had. Uh, you know, I was I started to be a little tired this last last few weeks, so really, really good, very good at what I did, I think. Any else is dreaming of holding aloft the South African flag at the opening ceremony when golf returns to the Olympics in Brazil in 2016. The South African, who has won four major championships and more than 60 titles around the world, will be 46 when the sport returns to the Games fold in Rio de Janeiro following a 112-year absence. Else has struggled to make an impact on the world stage this year, slipping from 27th to 57th in the rankings after failing to win on the European Tour or USPGA Tour. 60 players will line up in both the main 
and women's 72-hole stroke play tournaments in Brazil. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. East African countries launch joint military force. UN chief urges Israel and Palestine to resume peace talks and debate on federalism continues in Malawi. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzura Magaza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Yvette Mivilu with a song titled Kisangani. Plus comme mon de toi, Seigneur, et 
welcome to Channel Africa. The